I'm Jackie Moranti, and I produce a podcast called Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight. Have you ever read or watched any post-apocalyptic fiction? Were you one of the first people to see The Road or I Am Legend when they came out? Do you wonder if those things could really happen? Could the world as we know it be toppled by a disease, a global crisis, or a natural disaster? I assure you that it could. My show talks about the precursors to apocalyptic events. I like to call it pre-apocalyptic nonfiction. I talk about history and how we never learned from it. The present and how we tend to ignore every warning sign. And the future and what it will mean if we don't take care of our resources. The hands of the doomsday clock have been set at 100 seconds to midnight for three years now. Can we make the hands turn back? Cause of Death, 100 Seconds to Midnight can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. This case has limited amount of information from the law enforcement. Most, if not all, of the information comes from the family who are actively involved in trying to solve this case. This family has expressed their frustration with law enforcement's investigation. All information included is based on publicly available sources online, but I am not posting anything on an absolute fact. I am just reporting what I have found online and do not accuse anyone of anything. Everyone is innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. This episode will focus on the case of Kaya Annette Taylor, a 28-year-old woman who went missing on February 6, 2020 in Plant City, Florida. I will discuss her background and life prior to her disappearance as well as the events that took place leading up to it. Additionally, this episode would explore various theories surrounding her disappearance and potential leads that have been investigated thus far. Finally, I will provide an overview of current efforts being made by law enforcement and other organizations to find Kaya Taylor and bring closure to her family and friends. There will be a lot of moving parts, specifically a lot of people involved in her investigation. So you will hear the names Kanitha Taylor, mother, G as little cousin, Portia Taylor, sister-in-law, Chris, the brother, Hope Taylor, aunt, Allison S., which is a sibling from another mother and a longtime friend, and Cindy Johnson, who is also aunt. Jay is often referred as the boyfriend. I will be using the initials J, L, K, T, and K's parents. Interestingly, several people involved in this case have never been publicly named by the law enforcement, so I will identify them by their first initial in this episode. Their names are out there along with a lot of information about their history, personality, and possible actions in this case. Unfortunately, I am unable to fully report on these topics. If interested, 
I would suggest following the family-run social media accounts. Let's get started. Kaya Annette Taylor was born to her mother, Kanitha Taylor, of Date City, on November 16, 1991. Kanitha waited so long to go to the hospital for her birth that Kaya was born in the triage with only one nurse. The family was so excited to meet baby Kaya Taylor. Kaya graduated high school early and had some college education, but her mother described her as a late bloomer and was all over the place regarding what she wanted to do. She would self-educate and loved to write. On Kaya's Facebook page, she followed many poetry accounts. The brightness of her personality would have given her an open door to whatever work she wanted, be it in the medical field, teaching young kids, or having her daycare. Kaya's family went on to explain that she was very good at everything and that meant her future was bright for whatever she wanted to do. Kaya could learn quickly and was very artistic, musical, and intelligent. Kaya is a very affectionate person who would give more than 100% of her love to just about anyone. Quote, she used to do something that would irritate me sometimes. Even as old as she is, she would want to hold my hand when we were in the store and I thought about it the other day. I missed that. End quote, said Kanitha. Not only was Kaya very loving, she also wanted to see only the good in others and would go out of her way to lift anyone struggling. Kaya was also a super upbeat, positive, bubbly personality to which people would want to gravitate. Quote, the party didn't start until Kaya got there. Kaya was the party, end quote. She'd fill the room with her joy and energy. In addition, Kaya engaged in a YouTube channel that showed off her big personality. She loved makeup and had lots of fun coding movies and songs. Kaya actually had done some live performances under the stage name Madam Queen, where she donned a rap goddess persona and sang. Kaya was spontaneous in a good way. Quote, she stands out in a crowd. That's the best way I can put her, end quote, stated Kaya's mother. In an interview, the family discussed how this aspect of her personality was sometimes exploited by those that would misguide her by telling her they were her friends. They speculate that this may have had a hand in her disappearance. Kaya loved the outdoors and was very spiritual. According to her own Facebook page and Instagram, it appears she was mixed Christian and witch and believed in the power of manifestation. I believe that love is an activating energy that has the power to create. Love gives power to imagination, which forces manifestation. If you can think it in your brain, it will come to you through the power of love. In addition, Kaya loved the water and could be mistaken for a beautiful mermaid on the beach, which she frequented with her sister-in-law. Kaya is inquisitive and avidly reads, but she is a dreamer and enjoys living life to the fullest. Kanitha Bhatt, 
Kaya's car for her birthday in November of 2019. Prior to February of 2020, Kaya had been living with her mother in Dade City, Florida, and had recently started staying with her boyfriend, Jay, in Plant City, Florida. Although the home was Jay's best friend Kay's parents' house, Kaya did not have family there, but she did get a job at a call center nearby. She and Jay had an on-again, off-again relationship of around two years, and they had known each other for three to four years before that. Kaya's relationship with Jay has caused a strain in her relationship with her mother and the rest of her family. They did not think he is suitable for Kaya, as they have seen and heard that it was toxic and he did not exhibit qualities needed to be a good partner. He only visits after dark, doesn't come to family events, nor was Kaya ever invited to his family events. Even though their relationship started as a fling, it grew serious on Kaya's behalf. Unfortunately, Jay was abusive towards her, both verbally and emotionally by calling her cruel names, like the N-word and quote-unquote dirty. During the time of her disappearance, Kaya was living out of her car or a friend's house and was couch serving from time to time. Her mother describes the people she is hung out with as the wrong crowd, with shady activities going on with that particular social circle. Details about this group cannot be shared due to the nature of this case. And on the other hand, I like to be transparent. Just like any young person might, Kaya Taylor had experimented with drugs and fell into the wrong crowd. She was charged with larceny grand theft of less than $5,000 in June of 2019, but the charges were dropped. In January of 2020, a public record search revealed that Kaya had been in court for drug possession of controlled substances without a prescription, marijuana possession not exceeding 20 grams, and paraphernalia possession of 3 grams. Now, Kanitha, Kaya's mother, said that although her daughter had struggled with drug addiction in the past, she was now taking steps to turn her life around. She was doing responsible things and Kanitha felt that this showed Kaya was committed to making a change. Despite their disagreements, Kanitha made sure her house was a safe haven for Kaya and believed that she had leaned on them for support. What makes it even more strange, Kaya opened up a new savings account around one week before she disappeared and told her mother about it. Despite some tension between them, Kaya still returned home to pick up mail, including documents needed for filing taxes. On February 3rd, 2020, Taylor's brother Chris and his wife Portia traveled to Florida to be with family because it was Chris's birthday. And they did see Kaya that day at Kanitha's home. By the following day, February 4th, Hope Taylor said Kaya had stayed with her older sister that day. Previously, she had stayed with T. This information was provided by Kaya Taylor's family discussion private Facebook group. Now, on the evening of February 5th, according to Kaya's family, 
both Jay and Kaya were seen on video cameras in the evening in Tampa, Florida, having dinner and shopping. She was seen wearing the same outfit that she went missing in. The family found a receipt to Ross on Brandon dated for this day in the car, and it used a credit card that was not in Kaya's possession. Unfortunately, the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, also goes by HCSO, had not followed up on these leads when the family brought this up according to the family. Kanitha had estimated this to be on the same day that she mentioned in a group discussion that Kaya's phone record showed her calling Jay while she was inside a store. However, this was not followed up by HCSO according to the family. Thursday, February 6, at an unknown time, Kanitha called Kaya, but she did not answer the phone. This was common, yet Kaya usually called back when she wasn't busy. In the early morning of Thursday, February 6, Kaya takes Jay to work and hangs out in that area. The family says that the last seen photos that had surfaced were a photo that she had taken on her phone that morning. Kaya texts Jay that she needs to use the bathroom and goes to the local McDonald's bathroom, where she takes a selfie. This is the last photo of her in the striped dress and pink sweater with sandals. The same outfit is seen in surveillance in Tampa earlier, as I mentioned. The investigators tell the family that Kaya picked Jay up from work and took him to Kay's house in Plant City, Florida. Hope Taylor said Jay and Kaya had been arguing via text and other social media messengers most of the day. This was also based from Kaya Taylor's family discussion private Facebook group. Kaya Annette Taylor was last seen on February 6, 2020 at approximately 4 p.m. when she dropped her boyfriend, her boyfriend's friend, and her boyfriend's uncle off at their home on Cowart and Trapno Road in Plant City, Florida. She had plans to stay with a close friend in nearby Lakeland, but never arrived there. Kaya called her friend to let them know she was in route, but did not arrive and has not been heard from since. The last known message was sent around this time between Kaya and Jay. More on this later. Since we don't know when these interviews with her boyfriend, her boyfriend's friend, and her boyfriend's uncle happened in this timeline, MW mentions it here. Now, they all have been questioned multiple times. They all say that they had spent the day at the house. The father, parents of the friend said they did not interact much with Kaya except to see her leave. However, they also said that she had interacted with Jay and the friend as usual, but described her as being more erratic and possibly going through some mental crisis. 
Now, the family of Kaya says these persons were interviewed multiple times, and they were told Jay and their friend were not suspects. But in a later news interview, the news reports that the boyfriend was still a suspect. So there is some conflicting information. Now, according to Kanitha, Kaya had just gotten into a fight with Jay and was supposed to have been going to a friend's house. Now, Kanitha also mentioned how saying her behavior was more erratic is null, considering how dramatic Kaya was known to have been in her larger-than-life personality. And according to Kaya's family, it is also common knowledge that this group was known to use drugs. This includes Kaya, who had been struggling but also attempting to make better life choices. Kaya believed Jay loved her, and she was always in love with him, which might have put her in a very vulnerable position. By 6 p.m. on the same day, February 6th, the last call on Kaya's phone was outgoing and was sent to Jay, according to the family. This is one of the few calls Jay actually picked up, while previously he ignored her phone calls. According to Allison, Kaya had never given her password to her phone to anyone but Allison and T. Allison did not think she would have given her password to anyone else, even Jay. By 7 p.m., which was three hours after Kaya was last seen, a black with faded paint two-door 2000 Toyota Solaris facing northbound was found on Trapnell Road and west of Jap Tucker and Foxy Packy Plant in the middle of the railroad tracks. Kanitha mentions that the back tire had been stuck on the track. Unfortunately, it was not known at the time whose car it was. A citizen initially stopped thinking the vehicle was broken down and called it in. And they noted nobody was around the vehicle or seen in the area at the time. Her headlights were facing north. Police found her car running with the driver door open. So between February 6th and February 9th of 2020, family and friends are calling Kaya's phone over and over. They're reaching out to friends to see if they had contact with her. A massive storm rolled over through this area, and it heavily rained between February 7th through the 9th. Allison S. had called HCSO on the 10th to do the meeting to file the missing persons reports like they had asked her to do. During this call, she had asked dispatch to look up the reports from February 6th after learning from Foxy Farms that the car had been out there. However, after being on hold for 15 minutes, they tell her there are no official call logs, confirmations, or records of the 911 call or calls. The exact time of who had called it in is still being determined. Multiple people may have called in about the car. It is only through Allison's account that we know that Plant City Police arrived on the scene first. The officer notes the running car and the phone on the ground and realizes this wasn't their jurisdiction. They then contact HCSO. HCSO told PCPD, which is Plant City Police Department, they did not have any officer available 
and were instructed to move the car off the tracks and wait for a deputy. PCPD did that and, in the meantime, did not run tags or IDs, but placed the phone in the car and locked everything, including the keys, in the car. Quote, when the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Officer arrived, they moved my niece's car from the middle of the road. They drove it and parked it right here, end quote. Allison called Plant City PD and was told that the car was not in their jurisdiction and was sent to Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. After Allison's conversation with the dispatch, the HCSO becomes tight-lipped about the situation and does not release any more information about the incident. Until the podcast, they briefly explain why the vehicle was moved. Here's a clip from Unfinished Business Podcast. The Sheriff's Office and the Plant City Police Department responded to the scene, and obviously the, the fact that a vehicle is obstructing railroad tracks, it's an active CSX line, um, the decision was made by the officer and the deputy to move the vehicle off the, off the tracks, and they secured it on the side of the road. As we look back at this timeline, Detective Florio says three days later is the next key moment. So on the 9th is when uh, the boyfriend's mother comes to drop some belongings off to the friend's house and notices Kaya Taylor's vehicle parked on the side of the road. The mother informs the boyfriend about it and he comes up there and says, oh, you know, something's wrong. She left the house on, on Thursday and they ended up getting in contact with the friend who, whose house was in Lakeland. The detective will not release the officer's name, but the family is told and an internal affairs investigation was happening. The family did ask to look at a policy for when a car is found like this, but they were not given that either. Rumors have been circulating that the police department investigating Kaya Taylor's disappearance has a connection to Jay's family. However, there is no proof of this. This information is being reported as it is publicly available. By Sunday night on February 9th at 7 p.m., the story of how the family discovers Kaya's car is long and complicated, so MW tries to smooth out the details here. There are conflicting information from different news sources and quotes, but they have attempted to highlight the moments. The first event is Jay's mother, Elle, noticing Kaya's car along the side of the road where law enforcement had moved it. Now, as I mentioned from the podcast, Unfinished Business and Finding Kaya Facebook page confirmed this event. From Jay's location, there is only one way in and out to get to the stores and to other parts of town. It has been four days at this point since the car was abandoned. So Detective Florio, as you identify, so as Detective Florio, as I identify here from that previous clip, from Unfinished Business tells us that L.R. was bringing items to the house where Jay was staying. L.R. tells Jay, who says, Oh, something's wrong. She left the house on Thursday, end quote. Now, Portia Taylor describes in a podcast, in the podcast, Portia Taylor describes in a podcast interview how in the evening, one of Kaya's friends gets a call from Jay to ask if they had seen or heard from Kaya. 
Jay goes on to tell them her car was on the side of the road. A Twitter post adds the timeline by saying Jay had reached out to two of Kaya's friends, T and Allison S, around 9 p.m. to tell them about the car. It looks like L, Jay's mother, has been in contact with Kaya's mother, Kanitha, about the car. According to a post in Finding Kaya's Facebook page, she had texted Kaya's mother and then spoken with her over the phone. As a result of their conversation, Kanitha asked T to go with her and pick up the tag for the car. To ensure that everything went smoothly, Allison S. was also asked to be present when the police arrived at Kaya's mother's house along with Aunt Cindy. Kaya's friend, T, and her mother arrived at the car location, eager to inspect the vehicle. After taking a look around, they, they gave Kanitha a call to tell her about what they had found. Kanitha was curious to know how long the car had been there and if there had been any police tickets issued against it. Before the car was driven home, the family attempts to file a missing persons report with their local police department at their home address. Unfortunately, the Dade City Police Department could not file it even though they started to help and even sent a few cars over. Allison S. says that Dade City Police filed an incident report, not a missing report, that night. Dade Police knew the car's location and did not tell the family not to move the vehicle. The police left the house before the car arrived home. Kanitha asked Kaya's friend, T, to drive the car home. And now as soon as Kanitha saw the car and the phone, she realized something was very wrong and how serious the situation was. The family reports that HCSO pulled all logs and videos of the car being moved from public view. This is also the same sheriff's office that Kelly Marie Vasquez has expressed their frustration with for picking up evidence but then needing to be more communicative about the investigation or showing what they are working on. And if you have been following me this far, I did speak with Debbie Corville about her daughter Kelly Marie Vasquez in episode 28. Furthermore, the family was informed that a train had not run all those tracks in over a year since there was maintenance going on. When the news asked about the situation, they were given this statement. Quote, I understand that the family's frustration with that, but I don't have the intimate details of the investigation in front of me, end quote, said Amanda Granite, the public information officer for HCSO. Quote, Eight on your side asked to interview Sheriff Chad Cronister about these cases and about the racial disparities surrounding missing person cases, but was told his schedule was too busy. News Channel 8 also asked to interview any of the detectives on the case and was told they could not speak to the media. Granite agreed to an interview, end quote. Kaya's belongings, including a cell phone, keys, purse, and debit card were left behind. Quote, if you know Kaya, you know she was never without her phone, Portia said. She was always in contact with someone. We're just really worried about her, end quote. According to 
Kanitha. Nearly everything her daughter owned was left inside that car. Clothes, purse, ID, driver's license, social security card, and phone. Quote, she never went anywhere without her phone. The phone was the main thing that set me to think, something's wrong, end quote. Allison and Kanitha charged Kaya's phone, which had been dead, and then they went through the phone together. When Allison saw the last text messages, calls, and photos from Jay, she called the date police because of the subject matter. That's when she was informed that they had only taken an incident report and was advised to reach out to Plant City PD. Hope Taylor said the last texts and phone calls were confusing because it was through a regular texting and other platforms like Facebook Messenger. Jay and Kaya had spent the day arguing this way. So you are going to send your white supremacist friends to take care of me? You think you're smart, but I'm smarter. Kaya is biracial and her boyfriend is white. Her boyfriend's Instagram account description states, quote, alt-right Jewish disciple of Christ rabbi, end quote. One of his posts is a combination of the Confederate flag and a swastika. And it has an overlay of text from Revelation 3.9 about the idea of the synagogue of Satan. This concept is a commonly trafficked anti-Semitic belief, which asserts that the true Jewish people are Christians. End quote. Forty-eight hours is the time limit on trying to find someone with the most crucial hours. We lost those, and then some. End quote. Kanitha Tyler states, The family says that Jay did not contact Kaya's phone for four days. They did not elaborate further because they did not want to compromise the case. February 10th, Monday, at 8 a.m., Allison has flyers printed out. Then she heads to the car location via GPS, bringing with her Kaya's cell phone. Allison has shared posts of Kaya's page in hopes that her friends, because they share different social circles, would see and reach out with information. T also drove out to the car location, but they had gone separately. Allison arrives first, and when waiting for T, she takes flyers to Foxy Farms, the strawberry field nearby and asks questions. And this is where they learned about the car being there on February 6th along with the white pickup and police cars. Allison drives to a corner store in the area and calls HCSO to do the meeting and she talks with dispatch about pulling up records from February 6th. The dispatcher after this conversation tells Allison that an officer is on his way to meet with her. They hung up and T arrived at the corner store and got into Allison's car. Allison asks where Kaya had been staying with Jay, and T shows her because it is just around the corner. The two sit outside Kay's home and wait for the deputy, and when they do, they give their story. L arrived at Kay's home without Jay. Allison and T are told to go to the car location and wait. When they arrived at the car location, there were a dozen of police cars, detectives, a helicopter, and dogs. 
They had to wait until the lead detective arrived on the scene. This moment with the dogs and helicopters triggered Allison to this day because it confirmed that her friend was gone. And it was a traumatic hearing all the sounds while trying to process the reality. Allison relies on her social work training to remain calm at the moment and try to help. Allison then recounts that she was parked on the side of the road and 15 minutes later, Elle arrived on the scene and parked on the other side. L had brought with her J and K. They were all holding and drinking from styrofoam cups, eating snacks, laughing and smiling. Allison notes that J had a bandage on his arm. Allison waits and continues to speak with several officials and writes her statement. Allison also shows the police Kaya's social media. Hope Taylor arrives on the scene and Allison tells her the situation. Allison was also able to talk with Kanitha shortly and was told HCSO was also at her home collecting the car. The car was taken into custody that day. Then, one by one, the lead detective meets with LP, R, J, K, and his parents who had stayed in their home. T, and lastly, Allison, who interviewed around 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. Finally, Allison takes T to her car and they both leave. The Criminal Investigations Division was notified in HCSO. Detective Florio says that almost every detective in the Homicide Division has been involved. To be continued this coming Thursday, if you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to come back next week for our discussion of true crime stories. Until then, this is Jasmine Castillo. We are voiceless no more. This podcast was created, produced, recorded, and edited by Jasmine Castillo. Researched by Mary Weathers and Jasmine Castillo.